Hi, ladies. Thank you for being leaders in your Bible study groups. Get your green highlighter and green pen so that you can underline some important statements and make notes to help you lead ladies in a meaningful discussion of God's Word. Let's delight in studying and sharing the precious words of the Lord to us. This is the Leader's Guide for Justice and Mercy, Lessons 12 and 13, starting on page 61. It is time for world peace, finally. (laughs) We are up on the mountaintop in um, considering Jerusalem. Just a reminder, if this hasn't been emphasized along the way, this is real, physical Jerusalem in Israel. Like right now, you can find it on a map and that's the Jerusalem that we're talking about now. Topographical changes, geographical changes will have occurred with the the mountains and the land, but it is still, um, I don't know, same kind of basically same latitude, longitude. So um, we're looking at world peace coming from King Jesus. Above the box, it says... I'm sorry, just in the italicized comments at the beginning. Jerusalem will be high and lifted up because it's the home of the Lord who is high and lifted up. We have seen that a river of people will flow upwards to him. So we're remembering that. Regarding the gathering of nations in Jerusalem to seek the teaching of the Lord, Dr. Black says, such conditions have never occurred in human history. So that's one way that we know this is still a future prophecy. And then look at the last sentence. A time is coming when the times of the Gentiles will be fulfilled. That's the time we're in right now, times of the Gentiles. And Jerusalem will be restored and become a place for blessings to the nations. So Jerusalem is a place for blessings to the nations. What's the blessing? It's the Lord's teachings. That proceed from Jerusalem, Micah 4.2. The instruction of the Lord coming from Zion. And so we uh, paused to remember that, I mean, the Lord's instruction is what everybody has always needed. And God has given his instruction. Living life according to God's ways has always been his instruction. Genesis 2.16 and 17 You might just go around a circle. Yep, there are four verses here. So just um, go around a circle. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord commanded the man, eat from every tree except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or else you will die. So um, God commanded the man in how to live and live the right way. And if he didn't obey, then there would be death. And there was spiritual death when he and Eve ate of the tree of good and evil. Deuteronomy 4, 1 and 2. Through Moses, Israel was told to listen to the statutes and judgments that God would teach so that you may live. Again, how are we supposed to live? According to God's statutes and judgments. Go in and possess the land the Lord is giving you. Do not add to the word or take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. So Moses is talking. Here are the commandments of the Lord. Uh, Listen to this instruction of the Lord. The instruction was his statutes and judgments. 
Do them so you may live. Psalm 119, 129 through 130 is a praise of God's instruction. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. So it helps us. It teaches us how to live. The entrance of your words gives light, gives us direction, instruction, understanding, comfort, peace, joy. John 6, 68. Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Wow. And that's just such a wonderful thing that Peter was able to say and acknowledge. And we know the truth of that as well. There is no one else to turn to. But Jesus has everything that we need, so we turn to him, and his truth, his words are of eternal life. So again, living, (laughs) how to live in the present day and how to have uh, life everlasting. So how do you seek the instruction of the Lord in your life? How do you respond when he gives you his teachings and commands? Um, That second question may be the one that we need to emphasize, and you might do it like this, like, Many of you probably said in response to the first part of that question that you turn to God's word. Um, I also wrote that I I listen to and read and and tune into Christian teaching about God's word. So you might share some answers, but spend some time on the second part of the question. How do you respond when he gives you his teachings and commands? And... um, How do you respond? I'm thinking of the variety of ways that I respond. And I want to know. And I am so thankful and relieved when his instruction to me is clear. When I am reading his word and his word gives me the direction that I am to go in. The clarity around Uh, behavior and situations. His word gives me the right perspective on the world around me and the conviction of sin. So I respond with repentance and ask for forgiveness and, and turn what is the right thing to do. And his word encourages. Um, So the, the short, quick answer is to say, oh, I respond with obedience, or you, I respond with disobedience, or um, do you respond with belief or unbelief? Do you respond with trust or distrust? So those are just some things to consider here. And then leaders, in the next italicized paragraph, please give the reminder of what is said. At the time of Micah's declaration, the people who were already in Jerusalem were rebelliously disobeying the Lord. They had the instruction of the Lord, and they rebelled. They were in Jerusalem. They didn't have to go. So when Micah says this to them, this is a um, it's a confrontation on their behavior that they were committing. It should have convicted them that they were sinning and Ignoring the instruction of the Lord. The time is coming. I mean, God's justice always prevails in his timing. 
God will prevail. And just one more reminder that just that statement, justice will prevail. Just a reminder, justice is not an outside force. It is the justice of God which will prevail. Our God of justice will prevail. And how will he do that? He will do it through his son, King Jesus. And that's how the Lord will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations. So now we're looking at that circumstance in the future in the millennial kingdom. When Jesus will judge between many peoples and render decisions. You looked up these two words, judge, which we've looked up before, back on pages 42, 43. The Hebrew word is shafat, meaning to judge, govern, vindicate, punish, lead, exercise the process of government. And uh, we should remember that there is decision-making in this, and that comes up as a parallel concept with the next word that you looked up, decide, the Hebrew word yakak, and the definition I have is mediate, maintain justice, decide, judge, um, adjudicate, <laughs> rebuke. So you can hear the system of government and judging and decision making and, and direction and leadership going on here. They, these are necessary in the future for the variety of nations who will be a part of the, the world system. What will be the worldwide, worldwide result of the Lord's justice according to Micah 4, 3 and 4? The Lord will judge between many peoples. He will decide disputes between nations. And that's the word goyim, which means Gentile nations. And it says in the NAS verse that I quoted above the uh, Hebrew words, definitions, distant nations. And I looked that word up too. And it can mean far away, like uh, physically, miles, but it can mean far away in time, future nations. And I am thinking that that is much more of what this is in regards to. The nations of that future day during the time when Jesus reigns from Jerusalem, those nations, and I just was pondering, hmm, are there going to be some uh, New nations and boundaries of nations, and I don't know, I haven't read anything about that, but it sounds like it's possible. Carried over from what we know today, but some changes. Because the only people that will be a part of the millennial kingdom at the beginning will be those who are obedient and believing in Jesus as the Savior as the Messiah, as the King. So there, if we're looking at nations today, there will be a change in the leadership of nations from today to the future because not every leader of the nation today is a Christian. So back to the question at the bottom of page 62. 
what's going to be the worldwide result. There will not be war. They will not make weapons. There's no military training. And also, people will, a lot of people will be at home. They will have a home. There will be prosperity in Israel. We're going to look more at that in a little bit of sitting under their fig tree and their vine. And they're not afraid. So there is prosperity and abundant blessing going on throughout the whole world under the reign of Jesus. And we'll look at more of that information on the next page. Page 63. What do other passages tell us about this time of peace? Psalm 96. It will be said among the nations, the Lord reigns. Hooray! Okay, so all of those nations will know that Jesus is the king and he reigns. They acknowledge it. The world is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He judges the people righteously. So all the world will know that King Jesus judges with righteousness. It will be a time of rejoicing and the heavens and earth and sea and fields and trees are all named as that which will rejoice under the reign of Jesus. It says the Lord will judge the earth and the world with righteousness and judge the people with truth. So Jesus reign, his, um, his ruling, his power is handled with righteousness and truth. It's just going to be wonderful. <laughs> Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 describes him and how he reigns. Jesus, the child, um, that's talking about the man, the human that's born. And he is the son, which talks about his divinity, God. Jesus will bear the burden of government. And I am saying Jesus because we know that's who it is, even though the um, Isaiah 9 doesn't name him right there. He will be the world ruler. And I have noted that he's not one among them all, but he is the one ruling over all, the world ruler. He will be called, um, I mean, it says he'll be called wonderful and we see the names there, but I just, as I was thinking through what's being said here, he's called this, he's known this way and and it's how he leads. He rules as the wonderful one. Wonder. He is full of wonder. And that word wonder often means uh, like miracles. So he is a miracle worker. And we may see him do miracles during the millennial kingdom. That's in another place sometime coming up in one of our lessons um, about opening the eyes of the blind and healing them, healing the lame. He is called the counselor. So he's a perfect advisor. He is called mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. His government will increase. There is no end to his peace or his government. Uh, no end. It will continue forever. It is for a thousand years on earth, on this physical earth, as we know it right now, and then when there is a change at the end of the thousand years, he's still going to keep ruling. So there is no end to his reign as king. 
He will be on the throne of David. And the Jews certainly knew that that meant King of Israel from Jerusalem. This line of David, the seed of David. And again, this will be forever and ever. Isaiah 11, 2 through 5. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. What is the Spirit? It's described as that of wisdom and understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, fear of the Lord. Jesus will show us, uh, as he did when he walked on the earth, he still will show us fear in the right way, reverence of our Father God. And he delights in the fear of the Lord. It's a good thing. It's the right thing. It's the best thing for us. He will not judge by what he sees and hears, but with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide for meek with equity. Um, he will strike the earth and slay the wicked. And I wondered if that would possibly be referring to the judgment on the Antichrist and armies of the Antichrist and all the wicked at that time of the campaign of Armageddon and even the judgment that comes right before the Millennial Kingdom, um, that there is a judgment. And there's a judgment on the wicked at the great white throne at the end of the... Is that the, at the end of the Millennial Kingdom? I think so. <laughs> yes, it is. So he judges with righteousness and faithfulness. In Zechariah 9.10, from verse 9.9, I actually looked back one. It says, your king is coming just and having salvation. So he's, uh, it announces that the king is coming. He is the just king, the king with justice. And then, I guess from verse 10, he will cut off horse and chariot. That is referring to weapons of war and military strength. So that's not necessary. The strength of Israel will not be in their uh, defense system. The battle bow will be cut off. Again, no weapons of war. He will speak peace to nations. So there will be world peace. This is the real peace treaty that will come about. His dominion shall be from sea to sea, from the river Euphrates to the ends of the earth. So his dominion is everywhere. And from Hosea 2.18, my notes are that he makes a covenant with the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, creeping things of the ground. Um, I don't know what to say about that. It sounds good. <laughs> I'm glad that God, I'm glad that Jesus is control in control of the animals. The bow and the sword are shattered. No weapons of war. Animals will lie down safely. Um, so back in Leviticus 26, 5 and 6, God promises a time when neither animal nor human adversaries will be successful against Israel. And there were times in the past where he did say to Israel, if you disobey me, then I will let the wild animals attack and roam. And, and so wild animals were an issue. Now in the millennial kingdom, 
wild animals will not be a threat to flocks or human life. So that is one of the reasons that the wild animal kingdom is going to be at peace. And that brings me to the top of page 64. So that might play, play into your comments if you make any or have any questions about the top of page 64. Planet Earth will almost be like the Garden of Eden when Adam and animals lived in harmony with each other. It's also a time for animal lovers to rejoice and enjoy all those animals. There are a lot of animals that I don't really enjoy, but maybe um, I will then. And there are a lot of animals that I enjoy that don't want me to touch them. <laughs> so maybe they'll let me. Okay, so those that Isaiah verse is describing peace. And that's a key word that we're looking at now, peace. There is a peace that is better than peace with animals. And that's peace with God, which is made possible by Jesus. So let's look at these next four verses. What did the angels declare at the birth of Jesus, according to Luke 2, 10 through 14? Good tidings, great joy, which will be to all people born to you this day is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So they praised God, saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So the angels announced the peace that man could have with God because of Jesus as Savior. What did Jesus say in John 14, 27 and 28? Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. Let not your heart be troubled, neither be afraid. I said I'm going away and I am coming back. And if you love me, you would rejoice that I'm telling you this. So there is the promise from Jesus himself. He gives his peace. He has it to give. And he said he's coming back. What did Paul pray that we would have right now? According to Romans 15, 13. He said, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing as you abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at the keys that peace is dependent on there. Believing the word of God, believing in Jesus as your Savior and having um, this hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then why do we need peace? And how was it made possible for us, according to Colossians 1, 19 through 22? Well, why do we need peace? Ask that question. We were alienated from God, and we were enemies in our minds because of our wicked works. How was peace made possible? It was made possible by God, who made Jesus the one who reconciled all things through the blood of his cross. I really liked seeing that, that phrase, it's not a surprise, the blood of his cross, but just the way that those words were put together. Um, the blood of Jesus, the blood of his cross. That's a phrase that summarizes his sacrificial death and what happened. Okay, on page 65... We're going to consider our timeline, and on this one, we were to um, 
uh, put creation at one end and end times at the other, then put Jesus' death on there and put your life on there. And after the timeline, I said, if you know the date of your salvation, when your new life began, remember it, rejoice in it by placing that date on the timeline as well. So ask if anyone was able to put like a year, a date of their salvation on the timeline and if they would be willing to share that. It's a very um, possibly short way to hear a little bit of the testimony of people. So one other thing that I did on my timeline here, because I had mentioned it um, based on page 61, the in the box where it talks about the time of the Gentiles, on this particular timeline, from the point of Jesus' death to the beginning of the millennial kingdom, which you have not marked specifically on the timeline, but I did it off the line. Um, the time of the Gentiles is from Jesus' death until the millennial kingdom starts. So I just, I just was, you know, looking at that visually for my own sake. Um, that's the end of that lesson 12 and I'm going to lesson 13 now and we're going to enjoy more information about the messianic kingdom page 66 and regarding the messianic kingdom we right now like those of us talking about this and reading the bible right now in 2022 will enjoy the messianic kingdom in the future as um, resurrected glorified saints who have returned to earth with Jesus. So we're going to enjoy the messianic kingdom as glorified saints who are servants. We will be serving and it'll be the best thing because everything about our heart and mind and soul and strength will have gone through the final sanctification, purification, glorification process and we will be... Um, we will do it all the right way <laughs> with all the right heart and strength. So somehow we will serve. In the first italicized paragraph, it says, People streaming to hear the word of the Lord. Peace around the world. These will be the headlines. And we're going to look at what else is happening around the town. Leaders, you're going to um, be doing the introduction right here. So say that according to the verse in the middle of the page, Micah says, your land, he's talking to Israel, your land will again be filled with noisy crowds. So Israel will be full of Israelites. This is about the land. And we're remembering once again the problem that Micah has brought up to the people. Greedy officials had been stealing the people's land. Have someone read the next statement and fill in the blank. And they will say, But there will be a change under the Lord's reign of justice. Everyone will sit under his vine, or his own vine, and under his fig tree, his own fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. Every family will have their own property. And the vines and fig trees were a symbol of security and prosperity. So remind them of that. 
And then we move on to still conversation about the land and ownership, really. The assignment of the land to each tribe and family was very important. And we looked at Ezekiel to see the prophecy about the new borders under the reign of Jesus. Note the instructions given. I gave you some weird verse, and we're just going to skip that middle one, Ezekiel 47:28. That doesn't exist, and I couldn't figure out what I wanted you to find. So, um, verse 14, Ezekiel 47:14. The um, the land will be among the twelve tribes, inherited equally with each other. Because God made an oath to the fathers. This is the Abrahamic covenant that he is saying, I made an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they would have this land. So now the land is distributed equally among the 12 tribes. Um, And they do get different sections and portions than they received under Joshua's distribution when they entered the land back then. Um. From verse 48.8, by the border of Judah, so Judah will have a segment, a portion of land, and at the border or along the border of Judah will be a holy district with the sanctuary in the center. Sanctuary meaning the temple. At the top of page 67, what else do you learn about conditions of the land? According to Ezekiel 47, 1 through 12, and just summarize. Here's my summary. Water flows from under the temple down the mountain into a river. And along the bank of the river, there will be many trees on both sides of the river. The river to, goes to the Dead Sea. So the river, this river will flow into the Dead Sea and heal it. Because the Dead Sea right now is dead because of all the mineral and salt and stuff that's in it. Nothing lives in it. But the waters will be healed and fish will live. The same fish that are in the Mediterranean Sea will be in the Dead Sea. But swamps and marshes will stay salty for salt. Along the river, there will be all kinds of trees for food. They will not wither. There will be fruit every month and this fruit will be for food. And the leaves will be for medicine. And both that food and then the medicine words, I just wrote myself a reminder like, hey, a mortal body needs medicine. So those who live in the millennial kingdom will have mortal bodies. We saints with glorified bodies don't need, will not need medicine. But there will be people, mortals, in the millennial kingdom that need medicine. Or, it, it, I mean, that sounds like they will, since it'll be available for them. What will be the name of the city of Jerusalem, according to Ezekiel 48:35? Yahweh Shammah, the Lord is there. Um, so I said, if the Lord is there, I want to be there too. Perhaps this will be a good time to see what the believers of this present world will be doing in the latter days. So I've just been trying to bring up and remind us, we are the believers of this present world. And I've been mentioning 
um, that we will see what's going on in the latter days and we will serve those who are in the latter days. Okay, leaders, I recommend that you describe this timeline from left to right, and I gave you nine events to put on the timeline, so you might even just make a little number nine. You could uh, number them or highlight them or whatever. Just know you're going to talk about your timeline and uh, just go through it. So starting at the left, we have creation, then we have Jesus' death, then you have your own life on there. My little um, salvation asterisk is from 1970. Praise the Lord. Then I have um, some little arrows going up for rapture. And then I have the tribulation. And I've made like a little seven-year calendar thing there. At the end of that seven years will be Jesus' return and Armageddon, the campaign of Armageddon, the salvation of Israel, and saints returning with Jesus. And after all, and all of that is on the same line. The saints return with Jesus, Armageddon, Jesus returns. Um, I, I know it, the, um, some of those things will happen over more than one moment in time, but for the sake of our timeline, we are just putting them at the same spot. And then after all that, the 1,000-year reign of Christ, the millennial kingdom, which you also can refer to as the messianic kingdom. And I'm really loving it being called that because it emphasizes that it's the kingdom that belonged to our Messiah. I also have added something from previous lessons, and you don't have to have this, but, you know, here it is. I have some big kind of parentheses that are highlighting the time from rapture to the change of the arrow and um, on the right. And that is the Akharit Hayamim, so the latter days, rapture to the end of the millennial kingdom. All of that is the latter days, the last days. Those are the last days on this earth as we know the earth right now. Now we go to page 69. And we are looking at what Revelation 20 has to say about the Messianic kingdom, the millennial kingdom. Maybe go around a circle and see if ladies will give it a try. Um, I actually was like, hmm, what did I want in these blanks? But now that I go back, I'm like, well, yeah, those are all the details that are in here. And I know there wasn't enough room to write a lot of stuff. So... Um, you, they, if they, if they simplified and summarized, that's all great. If they figured out one word to put in the blank, that's fine too. I, of course, was a little bit wordy. So, verse 2 is easy. Satan is locked up for 1,000 years. And that is easy for the Lord. Verse 4. Thrones and those seated on them received... Authority to judge. I was expecting the answer to be crowns, and I kept looking for crowns. 
And that's, <laughs> maybe they do get crowns, and that is the symbol of their authority to judge, but they are, that's one group of people. And then verse, the next one, souls of those beheaded for testifying about Jesus and for not worshiping the beast, those souls, okay, I, I there could be a couple of different answers here, but make sure that this fact, these several facts are understood, okay? These souls did not receive the mark, which is why they were beheaded. And they lived, meaning they were resurrected. So that's a key thing for this particular line. And those souls are different from those who are seated on the thrones. Um, the souls of those beheaded are the tribulation martyrs. The next verse for... <laughs> They ruled with the Messiah, they ruled with the Christ for 1,000 years. So, we have two groups of people ruling with Christ for 1,000 years. People seated on the thrones and the tribulation martyrs. Verse 6, those who have part in the first resurrection will be priests of God and of Christ and reign with him for 1,000 years. I know that was a lot. If they just said priests, okay, as long as you know it's the right kind of priest. Um, but those who have part in the first resurrection will reign with Christ for 1,000 years. That would be fine also. Verse 7. After 1,000 years, Satan will be set free to, could say deceive. Um, I said more. Go out to deceive the nations, gather them together to battle, and surround Jerusalem. Which will make sense when you get to verse 9. Fire came down from heaven and consumed them. Well, the fire consumed Satan and the nations that were gathered against Jerusalem. Just think about that. We have been seeing the fact that under... Jesus reigned during the Millennial Kingdom. There are no weapons of war. There is no military training. When Jerusalem is surrounded by Satan and his um, human forces, which are going to gather together to battle, these are people who have rejected Jesus during that thousand-year reign. And... Um, they think they're going to go to war against the Lord and Jerusalem. And how are they going to be defeated? There's no human army that's going to attack them. Fire comes down from heaven and consumes them. So there doesn't have to be anyone with weapons to fight against them because the Lord's going to handle it. Verse 10, Satan was hurled into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are to be tormented day and night forever and ever. So, Revelation 20 gives us a very brief summary of a thousand years, and it is future reality. And for that reality, we can praise our Lord, we can praise Jesus, the Messiah, 
forever and ever, and we will, and we can start saying hallelujah now. And I am thankful for Handel's Messiah that helps us say hallelujah so many times. It is so appropriate to just praise him, praise him, praise him. And that brings that lesson to a close. So um, be interesting to see whether these lessons are um, long to talk about or um, a little bit shorter because I have a few pages that end up possibly making it run more briefly. As usual, keep your eye on the clock. <laughs> Make the most of your time. Thank you for leading. Thank you.